When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Does this oil rally have legs? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tony Greer, editor of the Morning Navigator newsletter, and no better person to ask that question to. Hi, Tony. How you doing today, Maggie? I'm doing okay. Uh, we had another big rally in stocks, big move in oil. NYMEX and Brent both up, I think, 3% last time I checked. They may have settled um, a little differently. But what do you think? Does this oil rally look like it has legs? Actually, well, it probably has the same question of both of the markets, but let's start with oil. Yeah, we're heading into, you know, an OPEC meeting where we're going to get the final decision on their um, output cut. You know, they put out their delegates put out a comment this morning that they were mulling a two million barrel a day cut, which I think is a little bit more than the market originally was expecting. So we got this ferocious, um, you know, two sigma, five percent and change rally in crude oil. Um, I mean, today's day, really, Maggie, is um, you know, to stick to oil for the moment. First, um, oil's got a lot of technical work to do on the upside, right? Like I tweeted this morning, and I believe we're going to see oil has resistance levels at the 2021 high of 85.40 that we cleared today. Then we've got the 50-day moving average up above at 88.40, which we almost grazed on the highs today. Then we've got the 200-day moving average at 97. We've got another moving average at 98 and three quarters. And all of this is relevant because I think that the oil market is actually going to attack those levels as we get through election midterm season. Mm. And perhaps we see the final SPR sales for the short term. And you know, knowing that it's not going to have any political use whatsoever to sell any oil from the SPR after uh, midterm elections, I doubt we're going to see any being sold. So if that's going to be the case, then I do think that the SPR sales were the number one cause that the oil market for the oil market to back off. If those let up, we are going to see that attack on all of those upside levels in WTI crude oil because the market remains extremely tight. Inventories are low. The exchange spreads are, are roaring today. The crack spreads are roaring today. So everything about the energy market, Maggie, feels very healthy. Wow, that's really interesting. And I'm so glad you brought that up, Tony, because I think everyone was focused really near term on the OPEC situation. Um, but the but the whole issue of midterms coming up, I mean, there's just been so much noise and so many things going on globally that we really haven't been focused on that. But it's going to be here, be here before we know it. So you're you're really saying those that selling, that SPR seller is going to step out of the market. I think there's a you know high probability that over the course of the next four to six weeks that we see them you know maybe not announce uh, a follow through and any more sales and that absence will be deafening for the oil market because it is going to actually you know if you lift that seller uh, I would imagine that just the tightness of the market itself probably propels it right up into that resistance area. Um, which would probably be the more neutral ground in terms of pricing. You know, that 85, 95 range that Jeff Curry at Goldman Sachs mentioned earlier in the week. 
Um, you know, he also pointed out that we spent a total of three point uh, something trillion dollars um, to get the total amount of U.S. energy from fossil fuels down from 82 percent to 81 percent. Mm. So Jeff Curry has been kind of on fire lately. Um, in my opinion, Maggie, it feels like that was the end of the selling. It coincided, most importantly for me. Um, with the Bank of England stepping into the gilt market, right? Last week, that was a really important macro development to keep an eye on. Um, all, well, I won't say all, but most major macro securities sort of reversed with that Bank of England intervention, mm -hmm. if you notice, right, Maggie? It mm -hmm. started with the big bounce in the pound. Um, then we got a big rally in the WAN, a big comeback rally in the WAN that had been getting buried for days. Um, we saw finally, we finally got yields off the high print. And I'm not saying yields are backing off, but at least, you know, uh, short term yields that were at 4.3 something percent last week backed off to 4% this week. Yeah. Um, the dollar index backed off. You know, you see a number of these reversals. And to me, that coincides with the buying and equities that we saw today, right? Mm -hmm. Finally, we had to me the most important move of the week, Maggie was coming in Monday morning and having the S&P tick a new low for the move and then go ahead right into positive territory because that kicked off a series of reactions, Maggie. That began the possibility of an outside day, which we had, a possibility of an outside week, which we're working on, an outside month, which could be a reversal month, and you never know from there. So I do think that this equity retracement rally is in motion. Uh, but this is very much the absent or sort of a development based on what we've seen for the last two weeks, which were the VIX in the, in the mid 30s, extreme tick index prints greater than 1500 on the lows every single day. We drove the put call ratio above 1.0. We drove the AAI bears index all the way up to 60, which was like a seven to 10 year high with everybody getting full of fear and loathing down at the bottom. And I think that think that what we see now is the market dynamic of shorts having to cover into a market where there's nobody interested in selling anything at all because they've already done that for three weeks. Yeah. Yeah, no, all all great points, Tony. I want to I want to uh, tease that pack. out a little bit. Just want to just want to make a comment um, for everyone. If you have a question, which I know you're going to, or a comment that you want to make, or something you want to ask Tony, stick it in the uh, chat on YouTube or in the comments section on the platform. The live chat on the platform um, is temporarily unavailable. They're doing an upgrade. So we got to wait on that. I know a lot of you've been asking and kind of confused by that. So, um, and of course you can hit us on Twitter, just tag us. So um, questions, welcome. We, we are gonna be looking at them. Just that's where you have to go if you were using that one chat before. So just wanted to get that out there. So Tony, uh, I, I want to separate out oil and stocks for a second. Um, does the you I think you laid out uh, your case on why you think oil is sort of, you know, getting ready to climb that technical hill. Does it feel the same with stocks or is there a different dynamic there? Is that just we were so oversold? It's a little bit more technical and this is part of a larger bear case or does it feel constructive? No, it feels really constructive today, Maggie. This is the kind of action that you want to see. You know, you've got a headline you know, the bull, the bull market recovery, excuse me, the bear market rally is so powerful today that Elon Musk is going to wind up buying Twitter at his original price, right? There's a five sigma rally in Twitter. 
That's helping social media stocks, which are one of the worst performers of the year, to a 5% gain today. Um, that The social media sector is joining airlines, cloud storage, oil and gas in the 5% rally club today. So a really well-rounded group of sectors on the leadership board today. It's not just tech. It's tech. It's uh, some cyclicals. It's energy. And this is really kind of what I've been waiting for. Um, is is for you know the natural resources sector to lead the market out of this because that's really where the strength is coming from, right, Maggie? Mm -hmm. Tech stocks are going to be challenged because of higher rates. Um, home builders are going to be challenged. Retailers are all going to be challenged with higher yields that we've seen generally. And in my opinion, natural resources stocks are still set up to be the best performers. I mean, it's no coincidence that through this unbelievably vast and thorough de-risking that we've seen in the S&P, there are two sectors that are still in positive territory on the year, exploration and production and oil and gas. And pretty much everything else is, you know, falling away down until we get down to the subsectors of technology, yeah. which are all down 40% on the year at this point. So if you're looking for a place to put your money between now and year end, it is starting to be a glaringly obvious play that something in the natural resources space is your only shot. Yeah. And Tony, gosh, we, we, we should, you know, rack it back to when you were first talking about that, um, because it's it's been a long time. And including the fact that you were, you know, getting worried and, and you know, not as bullish and then waiting for this to come back. It's really sort of following the cycle that you had laid out for us. Well, I'm going to I'm going to roll some questions in right now because they're relevant to what we're talking about. Oliver from the site. Are you backing up the truck on the S&P 500? I saw your tweet that there's no resistance for 200 points on the S&P 500. You just talked about being really bullish natural resources, that sector. What about the broad S&P 500? S&P feels good to me. You know, the S&P does feel like there is very little in the way of an S&P 4K print. Um, it feels to me like we probably got overextended on the downside there. And I would imagine that we're going to also become overextended on the upside. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm looking for the S&P to at least reach technical resistance around 4K. You know, it, we start to get through resistance at 4,200. And because I expect this to be an overshot on the upside, like most short covering rallies or bear market rallies are, we may see the S&P up at 4,300, 4,400 before this peters out. And then you reeled in a whole new class of bulls that are likely to get, um, you know, probably smashed against the curb before it's all over. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, Maggie. <laughs> let's, let's not depress ourselves 10 minutes exactly. into the conversation. One move at a time. Yeah, we have enough time. Um, but I think it's really important what you just said. You're still describing this as a bear market rally. Um, it's just one that is looking very constructive and, and has some legs to it. Yeah, today, Maggie, we're seeing, you know, in terms of mathematical strength, we're seeing two sigma rallies across aluminum, the German DAX, the FTSE, the euro dollar, euro versus the dollar currency, the London Metals Index. We're seeing huge rallies in gold, gasoline, palladium and copper today. This feels really sustainable to me. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So, uh, Niles uh, from YouTube, Niles H., uh, I see the long-term structural bull case for oil and gas, but is it going to be better to go to individual stocks compared to the spiders like the XLE, considering all the geopolitical risks brewing? Great question, Niles. Yeah, you know, the, the, trading the sector ETFs is always a good way to mitigate, obviously, the individual name risk that you may have um, that maybe a headline would lend itself to damaging more potentially, right? Um, I don't think that's a bad idea. That's generally the way I roll anyway. I'm, I'm much more of a, um, you know, I'm much more interested in having my money in the right sectors working for me over time than I am in being able to pick individual stocks. I'm not very good at that. So I try to just stick with the macro overlay and trade that aggressively. Yeah. So we, we're talking about the the challenges and the supply as you've been laying out for us, you know, all really all year round, all, all, all year long, rather, um, that exist. What about the demand side? So if 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 we've got these supply issues, especially if the U.S. stops purchase, uh, stops selling uh, the reserves, the strategic reserves, um, and that's feeding into the supply story. On the demand side, you know, we're still looking at forecasts that are expecting pretty, pretty severe slowdown in the global economy. Yeah, the forecasts have to go along with the Fed message, right, Maggie? When the Fed comes out and says, we are literally going to throw you into a hysterical recession to fix the problem that we caused of inflation, the entire set of sheep on Wall Street says, got it, economy going down, I have to figure out by how much, right? So to me, it seems a lot more like narrative than reality mm. um, in terms of the economy weakening that dramatically. Now, do I expect weak economic data in the future because inflation got so out of control, prices got too far for people to reach for, mortgage rates were too far for that mortgage activity and refinancing and, and housing activity to take place. Yes, there will be some level of economic slowdown, but that's why I'm kind of trying to, um, you know, put all my eggs in the oil basket at this point during the year, because while some of the other commodities look a little bit a little bit more neutral technically, a little bit shakier fundamentally or something like that, I still get a really positive read on the oil market itself. And you know, today's a great example where all the spreads came back strong, crack spreads came back strong, but that's where I'm trying to stay focused, Maggie, if I answer that question. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I guess on on the uh, on the Fed, well, we'll stay with the Fed for one second. Um, at, Melson asking, um, since Tony is describing the reversal since the Bank of England intervention, doesn't that mean the Fed will have to remain higher for longer, perhaps higher than anticipated? I guess it's the, you know, once we start seeing that rally, doesn't that just sort of, you know, work against what the Fed's trying to do as misplaced as that policy may or may not be? Um, you know, that's what I think people are worried about. Won't they, won't that sort of, you know, go against what they're trying to achieve and, you know, have them double down on their policy? Yeah, that's a little bit, you know, uh, that, that that's a tricky call. That's very that's very much a call for an economist or something yeah. like that, which I am not. But um, I, I would imagine that I don't think that the Fed is focused on, you know, the S&P price quite a, as, as much. You know, it, it seems like the, you know, they are really focused on slowing down, you know, the economic 
upswing that looks like we were coming out of in terms of having all of that post-COVID lockdown momentum. Mm. And I think that's what caused the inflation, right? After that period of, you know, we had all that pent up demand. We had that attack on supply during that period of time. And then we had the lockdowns lifted and the whole world trying to party like it's 1999 again, economically. What the Fed ran into was that causing a real peak in inflation data and causing a big problem politically. And so that phone call came back around and the Fed decided, okay, I see my next task is to get gas prices lower for midterm elections, right? So now the Fed's got to go ahead and start that negative feedback loop about the economy. And in my opinion, you know, it's kind of counter to some of the data that's coming out, right? The data mm -hmm. has been on the upswing. There have been improvements in a lot of sectors aside from those interest rate sectors of the market. And like I said, I can deal with the data getting weaker. I don't think that the economy is heading into the depression that the sort of Federal Reserve was trying to manufacture in an attempt to move the political heat in a different direction. So I'm really, yeah. really, really got my focus on what's going on around the November elections. I think it has a huge amount to do with the machinations of the commodity market heading into that. Mm -hmm. And if we come out of the midterms, um, you know, with any sort of signal that the SPR release is done, that this whole, you know, wailing on the economy story is over, I think we could see a sustainable S&P rally. I really do. So yeah. let's see what happens if we get a little bit economic, better economic data than expected. We might have some more upside here, but it's really all about positioning now, Maggie. It's about how big the shorts got at the lows and how far they're going to have to take them higher to get out. That's really yeah. What that's a that's that, that's a great great point, Tony. Great point. Um, I want to I want to bring in another. So we're we're talking about you know the economy and this this battle between supply and demand has you know this is something we, we talk about every time because it's so important to the markets. Uh, I just as part of our make or break series, we're also focusing on China, right? Hugely important to the global economy. Been a big part of the commodity story in the past. Many were speculating that Xi Jinping might relax their COVID policy after the party Congress. I certainly know, you know, some oil bulls and commodity bulls were thinking that might be contributing to another leg up. I spoke with George Magnus uh, recently as part of the series, the focus on China, and he's not so optimistic. Let's have a listen to what he had to say. I'd be surprised, to be honest, if zero COVID policies were not around in some shape or form for quite some time yet, maybe certainly into the spring or summer of 2023. The reason for that, I think, is twofold. The first is there are, of course, very good public health reasons why the Chinese government feels it is and should be committed to zero COVID. Um, not enough older people have been vaccinated. mRNA vaccines are not ubiquitous yet, uh, although they are trying to develop their own. The hospital capacity uh, of the Chinese uh, health system uh, is not great. So if China were to experience the same kind of fatality, uh, case rate and then fatality rates that Hong Kong had uh, at the peak of its own uh, COVID outbreak, then um, China's health system would be um, pretty seriously challenged. Uh, and that would be politically bad, obviously, for Xi Jinping. Mm. Um, so I think there are public health reasons why they may want to keep this going a bit longer. There's also, I think, surveillance and security reasons why they kind of like what surveillance and um, zero COVID policies do in terms of social control. Um, so it kind of suits China in a way. 
Many will know George as a longtime chief economist at UBS, author, longtime China watcher. I really learned a lot from that conversation. You could see the full version on our website. Um, Tony, uh, can we see a broad commodity rally without China's growth picking up? And if we have a global economy that, while maybe not falling into depression, is kind of wobbly, like, you know, can can we rally in the face of that? You know, it's going to be challenging, but commodities have taken such a beating, Maggie, you know, along with this massive de-risking that we've just gone through. So many of them are right back to pretty historic, you know, levels. So many of them are, you know, have so much room until they get to another their next resistance level because they've been pounded into the ground for several weeks now. You know, the rally is going to be the, the metals rally is going to be tricky. The natural gas, you know, is natural gas is a total um, wild card. You know, the, the prices in Europe seem to be backing off if they have a, a mild winter over there and Europe has plenty in storage then I would imagine Dutch TTF prices, you know, back off under 100 euro per megawatt hour. If you see that kind of pullback, then natural gas can certainly pull back from 650 to five or four dollars here in the US. And that puts a very negative spin on the commodity complex, right? If you've got the sort of point of the spear falling back um, in natural gas, that's not going to help. So what, you know, you wonder about is if copper and aluminum and nickel can get back on their feet. Um, you know, it feels like if they're going to catch any tailwinds from a weaker dollar, that that might be your best bet. Like mm -hmm. finally, the euro is seeing a retracement rally here. That might be one of the few things that can lift base metals, um, you know, out of this hole because they're still climbing a little bit of an uphill battle, Maggie, right? They've been destroyed technically and everything now is a retracement. So we'll see where, you know, we find real buyers. We, we'll see where these, you know, retracement rallies settle out. Some of them may clear resistance levels and be off and running. Others may just peter out. And I think that that's what we'll probably be deciding this week is, you know, which route, which, which sectors of the market are able to keep going right to their resistance levels and which ones are finding sellers on the first bounce um, where portfolio managers are taking the opportunity to lighten up again. Because yeah. I doubt that we're certainly, I don't think that we're out of the woods from that dynamic either. You know, we could be one headline away from, you know, down 200 S&P tomorrow. And that's the nature of this market, right? That's the nature of 30 VIX. That's the nature of, you know, having, um, sentiment go to you know ultimate fear extreme fear um that's what we're going to be dealing with for the rest of the year we're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners we'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. So we have, uh, let's, let's pull out from the metals. Let's talk about precious metals for a second because we've got some questions on that. Uh, we have um, Uncle Robbie asking, What's your view on uh, silver? So almost 9% move yesterday, precious metals, and also Sir Nudes uh, from YouTube. Jared Dillian thinks the bottom is in for precious metals. What do you make of the monster prints on gold and specifically silver? Yeah, so specifically silver, everybody is all hopped up on silver. Um, everybody in my Slack channel is talking about silver. I know they've all got it on. I don't really tend to chase silver. I'm kind of over that trading, that commodity, quite honestly, mm -hmm. right? I, it, I kind of... Uh, 
I'm sure that it can work. I'm sure that the chart looks okay. To me, it's just kind of meandering through a set of moving averages that are on their way down. So I don't really get excited about silver at all at these prices that we've been staring at for 10 years now. Um, if silver should break up through $25, $26, to me, that's when it becomes exciting because, as we know, it could easily trade a multiple of that price. So in and around these, you know, the prices that we've seen, Maggie, it's hard for me to get excited. Gold, at least, is, um, you know, a little bit more of a, a different story. It's just a little bit more of a popular trade. Um, today, we've got gold eclipsing the 50-day moving average for the first time uh, since last month when it eclipsed the 50-day and fell flat on its face. So it's still really hard to get excited about precious metals. What you would have to be getting excited about is real rates moving lower because that's where mm -hmm. that's when everybody's going to pile into gold. If we don't see that, um, then it's going to be, you know, an uphill battle for gold, just like it has been. Um, you know, what's interesting, though, at least to me, Maggie, is that gold has put in, you know, a real if you if you zoom out a little bit and take it back to the 2018 low of twelve hundred. Right now, we you know, we just put in a bottom at the 50 percent retracement of that move from twelve hundred all the way up to what was the high here about twenty two hundred. So a 50 percent pullback got it to about sixteen hundred. That's where gold stopped on the downside. Now, maybe this is an opportunity to rally, but it's still it's facing, you know, bearing down facing moving averages that are bearing down on it. So it's got a lot of technical work to do. It's all about the rates market. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and we have been getting a lot of questions on on silver too. So I can imagine that you're blowing up about that. We have such fantastic questions today. You guys are on fire. Um, question from Tristan. This is a really interesting one. Uh, asking, um, don't the size of these two sigma rallies on low volume actually indicate illiquidity and weakness? Well, we know that the Fed is taking liquidity out of the markets. You know, the balance sheet has come down. That that has been their goal in order to fight inflation. Um, and we've got the S and P sell off to prove it, right? So that that to me is the is the general direction. Yeah, I agree that the short covering rallies are you know kind of thin, kind of sparse, you know, kind of huge in magnitude. And to me, that's something that I can't fade either. So I'm not sure if I answered the question, Maggie, like, like, yes, absolutely. Liquidity coming out of the markets is making it very difficult to trade. It seems like the path is still lower. But as we know, you know, once positioning and sentiment get lopsided and extremely lopsided, like we just had them, like potentially historically lopsided, like we've just had them to the sell side, we've got to expect some historically equal and opposite reactions in the opposite direction, right? So that's why I think that the upside moves here because positioning got so short and sentiment got so negative, they can really fly because there's no natural seller, right? So when you've got a market that's just short covering and short covering, there aren't tend, they don't tend to have um, a lot of long only funds that are willing to stand there and hold a stock down. Right. They're kind of in the mood to let everything lift. So I feel like that's the mode that we're in now. Good quality, bad quality. Don't be on the wrong side of it. Yeah, this is I think this is a really good example of, you know, um, Tony, you having your trader, you know, your trader head on. And that's really important. And he's always when we're talking about these conversations, um, fairly short term. Right, Tony? I mean, you're being yeah. tactical. It's like a tactical trading perspective as opposed to, you know, his long-term investing thesis that he might be thinking about, right? 
Yeah, exactly, Maggie. It, you know, at, 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 with the VIX between 10 and 15, you can sit there and, you know, ponder long-term ideas and you have the time to make decisions. With the VIX at 35, I can't see past the weekend. Like literally, like I'm, I'm concentrating on making all the money that I can this week and soaking all of the money out of the volatility the market's offering me. And then we'll get closer to flat on the weekend because, again, at 25, 35 vol, I have no flipping idea what is going to happen next, what card is going to get turnover next, what headline is coming over next. So everything for me is stick and move right now. And as long as I can stick and move on the upside – I'm thrilled because now that we've got the ship tilted the right way and we're going to be able to pray with an E on this short covering rally. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And so that's that's a that's a really important context, Tristan. Um, but your question was excellent. And it's something that in other areas uh, and other interviews we're doing, we're asking hard questions about that, like trying to dig in. And this is why we talk about it being a macro moment, right? There are all these cross currents going on and they're super important to watch and they're really going to plug in. But people um, like Tony are looking at this and being taking advantage. And Tony, it's a good point. Like in volatile times, they there can be opportunity, right? Oh, well, you know, Maggie, you know, this is the, this is the market that you know, traders with my experience roll their sleeves up for and, you know, <laughs> don't have to set an alarm clock in the morning for, yeah. right? This is the kind of market that's so fruitful that if you have your traders hat on every day and you start off in tune with the markets, there's a lot of money to be made on, on both sides of the market, you know, and that takes a lot of, you know, it takes a lot of focus and a lot of energy to figure out how to pivot your book at the right times and how mm -hmm. to pivot it back out at the right time. And it takes being a step ahead of the market to do that. And, you know, sometimes we get it right and we've been able to do that. So, you know, once again, I pivoted my book to the long side. I'm looking for this rally to pan out. And if I'm wrong, I have risk controls on the downside and we're going to keep trading either way. Yeah. And that's important. He has risk controls on. And if it's not your cup of tea, you don't have to participate too, right? Like, uh, you know, as, as Tony is like jumping out of bed, I think a lot, a lot of the rest of us are like pulling the covers over us, um, <laughs> you know, because it's a little bit stressful what's been going on. But um, want to squeeze in just a couple more questions um, because they're so good. Paul from our site, is Tony bullish on midstream MLP stocks or ETFs right now? You know, um, midstream MLPs, I don't know. I mean, pick a more specific sector of the energy market. Yeah, I mean, I assume that if oil goes from here to $125, where I think it can go, those are going to do just fine. Mm. You know, I, I'm really focused in, not, not to poo-poo that idea at all. I'm really focused in right now on the refiners. Um, technically speaking, this S&P rally didn't even put a small dent in the refiner stock charts, not even a small one, right? We didn't even make a lower low. We didn't even get near the summer lows like the S&P did. I mean, we didn't put a dent in the rally of the refiners with that massive S&P de-risking. So when the refiners stand their ground like that and we come out of the de-risking with an oil rally, a rally in the calendar where spreads are tightening and oil is getting more backwardated, a rally in the three, two, one crack spread because the refiners are able to literally quintuple their margins due to gasoline demand right now. I mean, they are so set up for success, breaking out technically that I literally can't keep my eyes on anything else right now. 
Love it. Um, Ralph asking, and this is a little specific. So if you, if, if you haven't been watching this, you, we got questions all over the place. They, they, I love that, um, that they're leaning on you, Tony. We got questions about Brazil, UN. I'm going to skip those because I just want to focus on, on this commodity <laughs> story that we're talking about. What yeah. does Tony think about the probability of an LME ban on Russian aluminum, nickel, copper? And have you been watching Palladium? That from Ralph. Yeah, an LME ban on Russian material, that could be the story. It could be that Russia is pulling all of their material off of London Metals exchanges, right? So I don't know what the right answer is there. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to challenge Vladimir Putin, who looks like he's got a very serious natural resources game right now outside of the sabotaging of the Nord Stream pipeline by who knows who at this point. But I don't I don't really I can't speculate on whether or not Russia is going to pull their metal. I do think that that idea permeating the metals markets is something that lends itself to a bid. Right. Obviously, if Russia does decide to domesticate all of that metal, um, it probably shakes up the LME. I don't know if it gives them a good outlet to sell their metal on the open market, though, either, unless they have a better idea, which I don't know. So, you know, the the strategizing is very, very difficult for me to do. I'm much better at reacting and either, you know, piling into risk or getting the hell out of risk after the fact. So that that's kind of the way I line my book up. I don't have re I have very little metal risk on right now. I am trying to put all my eggs in the oil basket and very specifically around oil. That's the one that kind of shook out after that's de-risking as the place to be. And that's what I'm going to hunt down, even though I was looking for that to be the case. Yeah. And that's a great example. You spread yourself too thin. You can't concentrate on and keep your focus on on where you have the potential to win, which is another great lesson that you are going to leave us with. Uh, Tony, great to see you. Fantastic day to have you on with this back-to-back two-day gain. Um, thank you. It really was. This is my kind of market, Maggie. I'll, I'll come on here anytime there is a 5% rally in oil and gas. How about that? I love it. I love it. Let's, let's hope we have that opportunity soon. I'm sure um, we're going to have many more stuff. of them. And, and great questions. Thank you guys so much for finding the spot to put them in. Hopefully we'll be back to your comfort zone, but they were fantastic today. So thank yeah. you. That was a great daily briefing and a perfect day to have Tony on. My takeaway from the discussion is that he thinks this big two-day rally in stocks and oil is technically constructive and has legs. He's really focused on taking advantage of this from a tactical trading perspective. Um, he was also interestingly skeptical about the narrative that we're headed into depression. However, he still sees the stock move as part of a larger bear market. So be careful on timing and size your risk accordingly. As he said, there's an opportunity in these volatile markets, but there's no way he's going into the weekend long. Thanks so much for watching. The Sri Lankan Prime Minister's house set alight. The first is authoritarianism. The second is corruption. The FOMC is strongly resolved to bring inflation down to 2%. Home builders are abandoning homes. Massive protests going on here. We're going to see a material impact here on growth and indeed on earnings, which might pull it. Change is happening and you can fear it. But you're not going to stop it. There are really only two countries in Europe that have managed to maintain a replacement level birth rate, France and Sweden. This is the biggest bubble in the history of the world, and you have no clue. It's all herd mentality. It's the same as the property market. What happens over the next few months could define what happens over the next few years. So we want to make sure that you understand why. You've probably realized that we really have been listening to you. 
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.